You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before every game, get your Padres talk on with us. This is Padres Social Hour. Welcome back to Padres Social Hour here in the AMR studio on this trade deadline day. And I could not think of a better person to have here. I don't know, honestly, how we got you because you've been so busy. <laughs> AJ Preller, how's it going? Uh, a little tired, but overall pretty good. <laughs> I bet. So, again, uh, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time. You've been the busiest man in San Diego, maybe in all of baseball the last week or so. Um, and going right down to today, and we won't dive into the specifics of today. You already did a press conference earlier today talking about Derek Norris, Colin Ray. Uh, I only want to ask, have you ever been involved in anything as weird as the, the exchange back? Yeah, no, that, that was probably a first for us, I think. Uh, but, no, I think we were, you know, I mentioned. I think when we made the when we made the, the deal a few nights ago, you know, Colin was really, really, you know, he's a difficult piece to, you know, put in for that into that trade. I think he was a guy that, you know, we, we tried a, a lot of different combinations to keep him uh, to keep him out of that deal and you know to keep him with Padre. And you know, after he got hurt on you know on Saturday there in Florida and, and came out of the game with the injury, um, you know, we, we were able to work it out with the Marlins and able to get Colin back. So we're excited to have him back. All right. So we'll go. And um, last time we spoke with you was right before the amateur draft. So I want to cover as much as we can with you from there until today. Um, one thing, though, that I noticed across everything, the draft, international signing period, the trades you've made, stockpiling as many young arms as possible, a lot of high upside. Do you see that as kind of a prevailing strategy for the organization moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think just, uh, again, like, you know, you know, on the pitching front, you know, the, you can never have enough. I mean, I think, you know, on the mound, there's, you know, there's injury factors, obviously, you know, guys that may not develop exactly the way you want them to. So I think, you know, when you look out, it's a numbers game. I think it's about having quality and quantity. And I think, you know, we've made that definitely part of our strategy here, you know, in the, really in the last year and a half. But, you know, I, I think also the way things fall, you know, we, we're looking, you're looking to acquire, you know, top of the line talent. And, you know, sometimes that's position players, sometimes a pitcher, at least in, in terms of some of these trades in the draft, leaned a little bit more heavy towards the, the, towards the pitching front. I think that's probably a good thing because, you, you know, you need, a, you need a lot of pitchers to end up with a championship staff. Well, it's actually uh, Bob Scanlon who's on the show uh, frequently, former big league pitcher. He has a, a theory he ascribes to that it's a three-for-one ratio. For every three guys, one's going to make it, one will blow out, and one just won't make it to the bigs for whatever reason. Do you think that ratio for number of arms you need to stockpile versus those that eventually make a championship club is that about right? Is it less, more? Does it depend on the organization? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we're able to come up with a formula a little better than that. <laughs> you know, I think that's, uh, you know, I think that, that that's going to help us down the road for sure. But, yeah, I think, you know, when you look, you know, throughout throughout the game and industry-wide, it's probably probably fairly accurate. And I think, you know, our, our quest and our goal is to find pitchers that, you know, just on their own, that they're they're able to develop and, you know, put a good development system in place. So, you know, we're able to do a little better than that ratio and uh, and put a, put a product on the field that's really good here at Petco. One thing with arms you haven't shied away from, whether we're learning now with Chris Paddock and your reaction to his injury, uh, drafting Cal Quantrill, bringing Carter Caps over. Uh, Tommy John seems to not really scare you guys away that much anymore. Are you comfortable enough now with the front office with that operation that it doesn't deter you from potential ceiling? Yeah, I think I mean each 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 one of those situations they're they're all a little different, you know. And I think we looked at each one of those situations. We did our homework. We understood what we were getting into. You know, you want to do your homework in terms of like you know who did the surgery, how the rehab went. Definitely like the 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 you know the the makeup and character of the individual that we're getting because it's a long road back to come back from from Tommy John and. You know, it's definitely not a sure thing when guys have Tommy John surgery, but there's also a lot of success stories out in the big leagues. And I think the one thing commonplace, you know, when you really when you really get in and study it, 
you know, the guys that do have a you know, better chance of coming back, they're guys that really get after the rehab program, guys that, you know, like work ethic and makeup is, you know, is off the charts. And I think, you know, in the case of Paddock, Caps, and Quantro, when we went out and did some homework on those guys, kept coming back with the same answer. They're, you know, if they're going to beat the odds, they're, they're the kind of guys that, you know, we feel like they're going to do everything in their power to make, uh, you know, be successful coming back from a, from a tough surgery and a rehab process. I'm here with Padres GM, A.J. Preller. Cal Quantro, one of those guys, he's already pitching now in the system. Let's go back to the draft. What are some of the early returns, early progress, Support. What can you give us from what you've been seeing and hearing from the guys you drafted uh, that now are finally matriculating into the system up and down the Padres yeah. farm? Yeah, Cal. Starting with Cal. You know, Cal. Cal Quantrill, our first, you know, our first pick there from Stanford. He's uh, he's in the AZL in the Arizona Rookie League, so he's going through uh, you know some some 110 degree nights and days, <laughs> and uh, you know, but he's now made I'd say probably about five outings or so, and, and I got a chance to see his his first one. I think his fourth one. Uh, the second one I saw, it was good to see because he's getting more comfortable on the mound. He's getting more accustomed to being back out there. I mean, it's, it's been probably close to 18 months from the last time he pitched in games, so in, you know, in game activity. So, you know, the day I saw him, the velocity was good. He was anywhere from 92 to 96. He threw a ton of strikes. Uh, he went four, sco you know, four scoreless with no hits and no walks. And, uh, you know, it was nice to see. It was nice to see him really enjoying being back on the mound. Eric Lauer, uh, another one of our first-round picks. He's up in Tri-Cities. He's had – you know, some very good outings, and I think the reports coming back from him. It's been the other night he threw three clean innings and a lot of strikes, and again, good velocity. Um, you know, guys that are advanced, they're advanced for, you know, just coming out of the draft. Uh, Hudson Hudson Potts now, Hudson Sanchez, the time we, we, we you know, we draft him. Hudson Potts, a shortstop from, you know, the Dallas-Texas area, is off to a really good start, hitting over 300 in the AZL. Had a chance to see him, and really, you know, down the line, like I think uh, – our guys have gotten to off to a nice starts. There's no, no, that doesn't guarantee success down the road. Sure. But, you know, always, always good to see guys go out when you have an evaluation. I'm go out and start performing right off the gate, and we've seen that with our guys. Now let's move uh, chronologically now to the international signing period once July hit. And I feel like the way a, a boxer kind of spars, but then can really let loose once he's in the ring. That was kind of you being able to spend as much as you as you did this year. Did you feel like you finally were able to flex your muscle a little bit in an area that you've kind of gotten a reputation for being really good at? I think the credit really goes to like our scouting group. I mean, definitely, definitely all, you know, a couple fronts. I think, you know, from an ownership standpoint, a front office standpoint, Mike D, Ron Fowler, Peter Seidler, for those guys to, you know, to believe and trust and, and those guys to understand, you know, hopefully the value that we're putting into the system and what we're trying to build. You know, that's not a, uh, you know, that's not a, that's not, you know, that's not a, you know, a situation that I think you see in all 30 clubs. I think they obviously made a, made a large financial investment. Um, but I think they also, you know, they understand the process and understand what we're trying to accomplish and do. And I think, you know, with Chris Kemp and, and his scouting group, Trevor Shum, uh, those guys on the international side, they work really hard. They're out there, honestly, probably 350 days a year seeing players. And I think they, you know, what they did was they built a lot of background, a lot of history with guys over the course of the last, you know, year plus, honestly, you know, uh, scouting the group out. They were able to pick and choose, you know, as the hundreds and thousands of players you may see on the international market, we end up with, you know, you know, and in 2025 that we really like, that we feel like we're happy to, have, you know, to have as Padres, guys that can play the game, guys that understand the strike zone, guys that are two-way players that can defend, you know, the baseball. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, they're going to be guys that are coming to the system be successful. And I think uh, I think it was a huge boost to our system. And I think really excited to see these guys start playing games here in the next year. Is there one favorite that you love, like a crown jewel from that signing yeah, class? That's uh, you know, that's probably like trying to pick amongst your kids or anything <laughs> like that. I think well, uh, I'm my mom's favorite, so you can answer <laughs> the question. <laughs> I think, uh, no, I mean, I think there's – it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a well-rounded class. You know what I mean? I think we have a lot of shortstops. There's a, you know, center fielder, Jason Rosario, shortstop, Luis Almanzar. 
uh, another Venezuelan shortstop, Gabe Arias. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that we like from a position player standpoint. On the mound, we were able to sign a you know, left-hand pitcher from Cuba, Adrian Morihone, mm-hmm. who's a uh, very unique and, and pretty special 17-year-old that we think is uh, you know one of the top amateur pitchers or thought was one of the top amateur pitchers in the world here, you know, really over the last couple of years. So. Uh, and then a Cuban outfielder, Jorge Onya, who is a you know a power bat, strength bat, a guy that's a really quality hitter, corner outfielder. I think when you put the group together, you know we're gonna, we're going to get some good big leaguers out of that group. We're here with AJ Preller, and our first question in from uh, the fans on Twitter using hashtag PadresSH. Now the international signing period it goes all year. So this one from uh, Sports: Do you have any financial flexibility left on spending in this current July second period, or do you guys pretty much have you packed up shop on the international front? Yeah, no, I think you know, good question. I think. Uh, you know, again, I think a lot of a lot of attention is, is placed on the you know that first day, that that rush on July second or you know July fifth or you know those first couple of days there where, where we sign players. Um, but you know, it's it's a year round it's a year round process, it's a year round scouting process that really focus on, and then also understanding that you know, there's going to be p- good players throughout the year. And I think you know we've we've uh, we've prepared as such. I think you know, our ownership prepared as such. I think you know part of the moves that we made here at the deadline were were, were uh, you know, we're built towards that to giving us financial flexibility that if we wanted to, you know, if we found certain players that we wanted to invest in throughout the year on the international side, that at least that was consideration for us as well to continue adding talent to the system. And, uh, you know, I think I think we're going to be active throughout the year. And then one more Twitter question uh, before we wrap up on the international signing period. Uh, this one from Men's Ray. Any thoughts on a proposed international draft or do you like the current signing uh, system as it is? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think that's, you know, that's, uh, I really feel like I've, you know, that through the last, you know, 10 or 12 years, there's been a few different kinds of systems. It hasn't been the exact draft system mm-hmm. yet, obviously, on the international side. But, you know, for the most part, I think, you know, you see whatever system is put in place and then you work within that system. So I don't, I don't, I don't feel too strongly one way or another. Um, you know, I think uh, from our standpoint, you know, it's going to be something that has to be collectively bargained between the union and the, uh, you know, and the commissioner's office and, and, you know, and the 30 clubs. So, you know, I think from our standpoint, you know, we're, we're just going to be active doing, you know, on the ground, seeing players, you know, knowing where players are, you know, doing the backgrounds and the makeup checks and being prepared in whatever system it is to, to be productive. All right, let's move now to some of the trades you made recently leading up to the deadline. And one that you got pretty much universal praise for was uh, Drew Pomeranz for Anderson Espinosa. Po- uh, Red Sox got what they wanted, an all-star lefty. And Anderson Espinosa coming back, one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball. How uh, difficult or easy was it to pry him away? He's kind of a crown jewel from that Red Sox system. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, we had one of the better lefties in the game, you know. So I think uh, – you know, I think a lot of attention right now is, you know, is placed on prospects. And Anderson Espinosa is a guy that, you know, really from an amateur, from his, from, you know, his days as an amateur, was a guy that a lot of people thought highly of. Um, you know, our scouts, other team scouts, obviously the Red Scouts, you know, scouts and personnel did. You know, they signed him for, I think, $1.8 million. As a 16-year-old, he went out and performed right away and started getting a lot of, you know, a lot of publicity and notice. I think our scouts did a really good job scouting him. Um, you know, and it was a big group effort from our standpoint to know the Sox system. Uh, but you know, again, like you know, we had a piece in Drew Pomeranz as an all-star. It's one. It's one of the tougher guys to hit here this year in baseball. It's a, uh, you know, lefty that's that's been really successful. So when you do that, you expect to get good quality in return. We had, you know, a lot of attention from other clubs and end up making the decision to choose Anderson and uh, excited about it. Uh, next, kind of moving along the line, was the Melvin Upton for Hansel Rodriguez deal and uh, eating a lot of Melvin's contract going to Toronto. How important was that? And we saw that too with Matt Kemp just a couple days ago. How much does that allow you to do your job better? That flexibility to be able to say, you know, we're going to pay down some of this contract because that seems to be a recurring theme in a lot of deals these days. Yeah, I, I think the the you know the the Melvin Upton to the Blue Jays was kind of a, you know kind of a you know three different parts of that deal. I think the first part was. You know, was was again getting some financial flexibility and being able to use that money in a different, you know, a different fashion. I think, 
you know, the second part for us, obviously, is getting, you know, Hansel Rodriguez that you mentioned, who's a guy that, you know, probably a little bit longer-term project, but a right-handed arm that, you know, uh, Spencer Graham, some of our scouts, Dom Scavone, think, uh, you know, has upside as a, as a pitcher here in the big leagues in terms of, you know, a possible mid-rotation type starter. Um, and then and then the third part is really creating opportunity. And, you know, I think for us, you know, we you know the guys that are in El Paso, some of the guys here on the big league club, Alex Dickerson, and then behind those guys, you know, Manuel Margot and, uh, you know, Hunter Renfro. I think, you know, in terms of, you know, when you have a set outfield like we've had for most of the year with John Jay, pre-injury, Matt Kemp, you know, and Melvin Upton, you know, those guys are, they played well and they're out there as veteran players. And I think we had some guys that we wanted to, you know, give give opportunity to. They earned their way there. They have, they're having big years in El Paso uh, or in AAA. And, and, you know, we've been able to do that. And I think that deal was, you know, part of the rationale for that deal was to create some opportunity for Alex Dickerson, Travis Jankowski to go out there and play a little bit more. Uh, similarly, with Matt Kemp now to Atlanta, it opens up even more opportunity. You mentioned right after that trade that it was actually the Braves who reached out to you, and then that deal kind of consummated within, what, 24, 36 hours pretty quickly. If they had not called you, were you planning on having Matt here, or was he someone that you maybe were still trying to look at dealing to somewhere else? Yeah, we really did not have a lot of discussions about Matt. So, you know, that, that one came a little bit out of left field, you know, and I think, uh, you know, our, our focus, you know, is on some of the guys you had mentioned that, that you know, that, that we ended up moving. I think that was, you know, those were the active discussions for us um, and really had not, had not, you know, factored Matt too much into moving. And the Braves presented the idea to us. Ultimately, I think, you know, the, you know, the, the main, main part of that deal, you know, was to, you know, was, was, was to get the financial flexibility going forward and, again, and create some opportunity first for Jabari Blash, who's going to come up here and play, and then, you know, down the road for some other guys in our system as well. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, leading up to the last few days of the trade deadline wasn't really a focused part of it, but when the Braves presented us with the idea as a group, we ended up uh, thinking it was something we should do. We ended up uh, moving on the deal. Uh, so now let's look forward, and one of the things, this is another question coming in here from another one of our uh, fans. This is Kyle Larkin. Do you intend, AJ, to uh, add some veteran pitching in the offseason to ensure the health of the young arms? So you're getting all these high-ceiling guys, but someone's got to pitch at the big league level uh, before these guys end up making it up here. Is that going to be a priority for you guys moving forward? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, you know, looking, looking at the offseason, definitely on the, on, the, you know, on the mound in terms of starting rotation, you know, again, you can never have enough guys, but in terms of looking at what, what we're looking at, it's going to be it's an area that we've got to address. You know, it's an area that's probably going to be an area over the next couple of years that we're going to be constantly trying to find all different ways. I mean, maybe veteran free agent starters. It may be, you know, like we saw this year, a Rule 5 pick in Luis Perdomo. It might be a smaller deal, you know, a mid-tier type deal like we made this past year for Drew Pomeranz. You know, I think immediately when we made some of the trades that we made, Andrew Cash and Drew Pomeranz, you know, the call to our pro scouting group and, you know, really our, our you know, our baseball operations team was – yeah, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to build a championship, you know, style pitching staff. We're gonna have to go get, you know, go get guys that that we think, uh, you know, are gonna be able to pitch for us up here and, and be productive. And I think, you know, what the trades did was create a lot of opportunity. And you know, I think it's gonna be, you know, a situation where we're gonna sort through a lot of a lot of bodies and names and give guys out, you know, give guys a chance to come up here and pitch, you know, to find some guys going forward along with the prospects that we traded for. You know, they're going to be a strong staff here in a couple of years. All right, going to let you get out of here in a sec, but want to run through a couple of quick hitters with you, uh, AJ. You mentioned how the Braves reached out to you. What percentage this past week was it p teams reaching out to you and checking in on guys and you reaching out to other teams trying to feel the market out for what you have? Yeah, there's, there's always some back and forth, but honestly, I think, you know, in the position we've been in, I think we, we had put some players that are attractive to clubs. And I think, you know, we, we do a lot of, you know, we, you know, there were a lot of calls, you know, teams reaching out, you know, going to us. We had multiple teams involved in, in, in you know, in pretty much all these players. 
So I think in a lot of cases, you know, it was not, uh, you know, we didn't have to be too active drumming up business. I think there was a lot of, <laughs> lot of situations where teams were checking in with us constantly. And, uh, you know, that, that, that probably makes for a market in which you can make some moves. Yeah, it must be nice when you're the one so constantly in demand. Um, which deal was the most difficult? The Kemp one, for example, came about pretty quickly. Which was the most difficult to consummate? How, lo you know, the one that took the longest to or had the most back and forth? Was there any one in particular? I think prob probably the deal with the Marlins, you know, I think, uh, and, and, you know, I think the uh, – I think the biggest portion, like I mentioned today, I think you know, there are probably about, you know, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 different, different combos that we <laughs> looked at. You know, most, most of them were, to honestly, to keep Colin out of the deal. And then, you know, I think uh, so from that standpoint, there was a lot of back and forth on that deal. On the original deal that we made, you know, a few nights ago, um, you know, and that was probably the one that had the most, you know, most calls going back and forth and the most, uh, you know, different, different possibilities and, uh you know, and, and you know, I think that was the one that probably took a little bit. You know, that, that took more of the, you know, more of more of the time and the, uh, you know, and the bandwidth and all that stuff. So, cool. well, AJ, thank you. And uh, last one, I know it's a it's a never-ending job. It's all day, but will you at least tonight get a chance to go to bed early or catch up on your DVR <laughs> or do anything for you? Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, you know, the <laughs> it's 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 always you know, on the baseball operation couch, usually on to the next thing pretty quickly. So I think uh, you know, you get done with the deadline this year on August first, not July thirty-first, yeah. like it is most years. Um, but no, it's it's usually you know go into the system and there's always something else that you know that that hey, all teams, all 30 teams, they operate that way. It's just a very like you know highly competitive environment, and you know I think uh, you know get a chance to go in and see our see our farm teams here in the next couple of weeks as well, and um, and see our big league club, you know, and start you know pretty quickly the off seasons that you know is is upon us. So uh, you know we'll see. I think uh, maybe maybe a couple couple hours with our group tonight that we'll, we'll sit back and, and kick back and enjoy and then uh, get ready for tomorrow. Well, get a nap in or something at least. <laughs> you deserve it. All the hard work you've been doing. A.J. Preller, thank you so much and for taking the time for us. It means a lot. Appreciate it. Thank All you. All right. That's Padres General Manager A.J. Preller. And you can be here next week when Ken Caminiti is being inducted into the Padres Hall of Fame on Saturday, August 6th. To celebrate, all fans in attendance at that night's 540 game against the Phillies will receive a Ken Caminiti Padres throwback replica jersey presented by Fanatics. A variety of sizes are available. Get your tickets now at Padres.com. We're back with more of this trade deadline day edition of Padres Social Hour. Don't go anywhere.